Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. Today I'm excited to welcome Eve Gigi onto the podcast. You might have heard of Eve before from companies like Made to Move Physical Therapy in Carolina. Uh, you also might have heard of him from Physical Therapy Biz with Danny, Jared, and those guys. He is a phenomenal individual, and today we talk about so many different things relating to physical therapy. We talk about performance physical therapy. We talk about what to do if you're feeling stuck at a clinic, whether you're a patient or a PT. We also talk about what PT should be, in our opinion, the different experiences that you should be having, the kind of relation you should have with your physical therapist. And if you're a PT, we talk about the importance of relationship building and networking and just understanding that overall, you can't do everything yourself, no matter how good you are. This is a great episode. And I know you're going to love it. Enjoy the show. Eve, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to work with you today. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I'm always excited to to dive deep on, on healthcare things. And uh, hopefully I've got some value to add. Yeah, definitely. You know, for people who might not be familiar with you and all the incredible things that you're currently doing, whether that be at PT Biz or Made to Move, can you fill them in a little bit about yourself? Oh man, how far back should I go? Right. So <laughs> I I'll always like to do the abridged version and then we can always dive deeper if we need to. Um, so, I mean, I've been a PT for going on 12 years, uh, actually started in the pediatrics world, wanted to own my own clinic there, transitioned over to um, outpatient orthopedics, started an insurance-based clinic or a satellite of like a small private practice grew that sucker to like a million dollar practice, uh, got super frustrated in the insurance model, um, you know, for, for multiple reasons, you know, paperwork, you know, the kinds of patients I was seeing, you know, my lack of clinical flexibility, and then um, was given the opportunity uh, or, you know, maybe had the the cojones, so to speak, to, to shut down that office, sell it, and then start totally over in a, in a, cash base uh, practice, you know, totally from scratch with a newborn and a, a three-year-old at the time. So it was a little bit crazy, um, but super exciting. Started in a CrossFit gym, uh, grew that, um, really decided that I really liked business, like the entrepreneurial life, um, tried a lot of things, like even tried to start up, um, but the cash practice grew relatively well, was able to grow that to multiple clinics, multiple providers, um, you know, from that also grew a uh, partnership with Danny Matei and, uh, you know, PT Biz and started doing more business mentorship specifically for, for cash practices, which has been one of the most uh, rewarding things in my life, just being able to have an impact uh, on the profession, um, you know, working now with hundreds, thousands of businesses, um, getting them to start hybrid and cash practices and, and growing and scaling them now to having multiple clinics that are able to go seven figures in cash practices, which is just something I never thought would be possible when I first started. Um, but now it's just, uh, man, it's just grown like gangbusters and it's just super exciting for the profession as more, you know, newer clinicians or more clinicians in general are deciding to go in poor of a performance-based model, you know, like not necessarily cash isn't necessarily a a business model. It's just like, it's just more performance-based, which is, uh, I just think a, a great avenue for the profession. I completely agree with that, Eve. And I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, we look at the system that we've been in historically, and there's a lot of what I refer to as like a hum clinic or what we see as like, 
I don't know, 1970s physical therapy, it seems, where you have a patient come in, you give them a hot pack, maybe do some ultrasound, massage, maybe a little e-stim, and you call it a day. Um, and I, I just, for myself, I can't quite comprehend that. You know, it's like these things aren't moving the needle of life for anyone. They're not changing life for anyone. And ultimately, it seems like that's not what people want anymore. People seem to want to get back to life and people are being more and more active than they've ever been in the past. I've seen 80 year olds who are running marathons and Ironmans and that sort of thing. And, you know, we can't just look at age as a number and say, well, you know, you're this old, so we can just hop pack and ultrasound it and call it a day is there really has to be a shift towards a performance model. And as you mentioned there, some of that you might be able to get by with insurance-based uh, rehab. Some of it you might not be able to. And I think that's where at least at the minimum offering some type of hybrid approach to care where you can do some insurance-based and then offer some self-pay options, or maybe even just doing cash pay entirely, just so that way people have access to what they need, as opposed to having some kind of barrier in the middle, uh, restricting people from getting what they need out of their healthcare experience. Yeah, to totally agree. I mean, you know, we can go back into the history of the profession a little bit, you know, like I remember, I was in high school and I always knew I wanted to be a, a PT. I had a special needs little sister. I was able to see the impact of the profession on her, on myself as an athlete. I dislocated my kneecap multiple times. I was a, a, a soccer player. And so it's just, man, I knew I wanted to do this and I had a PT come into our, uh, you know, uh, walk in and do like, you know, whatever the, you know, meet the job kind of day, you know, and they're like, man, you make six figures. It's super easy, streamlined. This is awesome. And so, you know, what happened is like, yeah, in the seventies and eighties, I think even in the early nineties, you know, we were getting paid a lot of money for doing, you know, hot packs and ultrasound. And like, that was the model um, that was born because that was financially what made sense for the profession. And the problem is it doesn't make financial sense anymore, you know, especially in the insurance-based model. We know that they're not getting reimbursed as much anymore, but the model is stuck, which is like, right, super frustrating. Like, what is the patient really getting out of some of these passive modalities? Maybe there's a place for them, you know, uh, certain times, certain people, right? But like, that's the only thing we're doing. And we're not really focused on, like you said, about improving quality of life and, and talking about being more active and what does that look like? And, um, you know, but it's really difficult in insurance-based practice practice to find the time to do that, right? If you're seeing, which we've seen now in no clinics, sometimes three, four people an hour, right? It'd be very difficult to do anything besides passive modalities and a couple exercise um, instructions. So the profession has had to evolve and, evolve, and it seems to be the performance-based model, more one-on-one -on -one care, more education around lifestyle, you know, uh, is, is something that's been very valuable to patients. And I think it's a huge value proposition uh, that we as physical therapists are these perfect providers, in my opinion, to help people, you know, live a better quality of life, right? Like uh, I, I'm reading Peter Atiyah's book and it's about, you know, lifespan, how long you can live. Okay. That's important. But it's also, he calls it health span. Like, are you able to do the things you love every day? And it's like, man, when I read that, I'm like, man, us as physical therapists, like that is that is what we can provide in a huge capacity, but we can't do it if we're just providing passive modalities. We can't do it if we're seeing three to four people. It takes so much time and energy to really make a difference, you know, when it comes to, to people's lifestyle. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree is ultimately we're providing a high quality service for someone that kind of spans a lot of different things. Most PTs I know have a pretty decent understanding of orthopedic procedures, so surgeries, so we can educate our patients preoperatively or postoperatively on what that entire rehab process is going to look like. We can also hit so many other factors. Giving an example, uh, there was an individual I worked with this morning who's post-op ACL, had his surgery, uh, surgery just a week ago. So beforehand, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about how his sleep is probably going to be impacted. We talked about some of the medications that he was prescribed and some of the side effects of them and what to do in case those side effects start to occur. We went through a lot of different things and we have the capacity to do all those things. It makes for an extremely holistic service, but if we don't have the time to do them, then how can we provide that? And if we're not doing that, then how, how is that patient going to get that information? You know, I, I know a lot of people are quick to point the finger at like a doctor or a surgeon, but honestly, I don't think it's their fault. I think that doctors and surgeons do a phenomenal job at what they do. And I would rather have a surgeon become highly specialized in surgery uh, than to have to explain an entire 12 month rehab process to someone, you know, it's not their job. I'd rather them be good at what they're good at and we'll be good at what we're good at. Oh man, you're, you're, Preach to the choir. I love it. Like even in my insurance-based job, I remember having these conversations all the time because a lot of times uh, there was a surgeon who sent me a lot of people and they're like, man, this guy's a total jerk. Like what's going on? And I'm like, yeah, he's a total jerk, but guess what? Like every time a patient comes to see me post-operatively, they do amazing. He is amazing at what he does is surgery, right? And so just remember that. You don't want your surgeon to be a nice guy. You want your surgeon to be an amazing surgeon, right? And you know, and you don't have to spend a lot of time with him. You got to spend, you know, spend a lot of time with me, you know? And so like, I have to actually be, and I think physical therapists need to actually be a better communicator, right? Because this is the stuff that we get to talk about, right? Like surgical outcomes and how to get the most out of the rehab process. We're going to spend a lot more one-on-one -on -one time, right? And so, you know, I can go into that whole diatribe, but I won't, but uh, we obviously need to be able to make these massive changes. And a lot of that is, I think, really, really uh, good communication, um, you know, a vast knowledge over multiple areas. Like I love that you talked about, you know, uh, sleep, stress, like just all the other stuff that kind of goes into the rehab process beyond like surgical protocols and, you know, stretching your shoulder and, and going to those exercises. Cause we know that there's definitely more to it than that. Yeah, there definitely is. And, you know, we've brought up that topic and you've also mentioned the concept of performance-based physical therapy a number of times here. And ultimately, when I hear that term and I think about things like patient education, I think about being able to provide a service for the patient that takes them from where they are today to where they want to be at end goal and kind of fill in the steps along the way. And when I say it like that, it kind of sounds more like a strength and conditioning thing than a typical physical therapy thing, doesn't it? Oh, 100 percent. And we get that all the time, you know, like it'll be like, oh, we're doing um performance-based care. It's like, oh, you just sound like you're doing personal training. And I was just like, man, I, I just want to yell at people like that, right? Like what's wrong with that? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, if we're just going to progressively overload somebody and teach them how to be more active and that's the value you provide, like, is that really a bad thing? Like, I don't think that's a bad thing at all, you know? And it is interesting, like, this idea of performance-based care, like there's not really a clear definition. Nobody really owns, you know, that 
that term. But you know, when I go back down to its roots, what I what you know what I think the definition is, like in a performance-based model, just like you said, what we're trying to do is we're focused on the patient performing in their life or whatever goals they have to make sure they're getting better at them. Like that is the only focus in the performance-based model. Where are you now? Just like you said, to where do you want to be? You know, what's whatever that is. And that was the cool thing about cash is that it didn't matter what that was in that hour. I could do everything I wanted to, anything I needed, whether that's just talking to the patient, I didn't have to worry about insurance reimbursement because that's where I think the model, the deliver, like what you're delivering is different because in a third party payer model, you have to provide care that is reimbursable. Like you need to run a business. It needs to be profitable. So it just limits your outcomes, you know, outcomes, it limits what you can do clinically to get outcomes. And so like the biggest thing that the change for me in a performance-based model from the insurance-based model was just being able to do whatever I needed to do in that hour to help that patient. And sometimes that was literally whiteboarding out sleep, stress levels, you know, maybe how to exercise more, how to exercise little. It, could ju- it was just a conversation and a whiteboard, which you could, you could do that. I mean, you could, but you probably wouldn't get reimbursed very much for that. And so now I just had one goal and that was to make sure to get the, man, I, I say it all the time, where the patient is now to where they want to be. That's that's all that really mattered. And I, I loved that. That was That's the best part about being cash. It's not that, oh, I'm you know, charging cash and now I can have a seven figure business and make more money. I mean, yes, that is also true. And that's a great benefit, but the ultimate best thing is clinical flexibility and be able to focus solely on the patient and not have to worry about a third party. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, um, most people I know don't go into physical therapy to be filthy rich. Um, right. This just isn't the profession for that most of the time. Um, but if you can create an environment where you are financially comfortable at the minimum uh, and you can provide a high quality service to patients day in and day out and give them something that they're not going to get anywhere else, then I think that's, you know, one of the main keys to a successful life. And, you know, I'm not a life coach or life advice guy by any means, but I certainly think that, you know, cultivating that kind of environment for yourself is key. Now, you mentioned that, you know, some people have said to you, like, you know, what's different about performance PT versus personal training and that sort of thing? How do you think we kind of differ? Where do we draw the line as being different than like a strength and conditioning professional as a medical provider here? Where Where's that line at for you? Yeah, I think uh, well, what you said just right there is the big difference maker. It's the medical provider side, right? So we have uh, a lot of medical knowledge that a personal trainer wouldn't, um, you know, and that allows us to go places that a personal trainer, you know, is not within their scope of practice, right? So a personal trainer, you know, when I break it down, the easiest way to say it is a personal trainer's goal is to make sure they become more fit, right? Or you lose weight. Typically it's one of those two things, right? Where our goal, you know, is get you out of pain, better quality of life, you know, to be healthier, right? And that, you know, that could be in a lot of different ways. I could, you know, you could do blood work if you wanted to and help. Like, there's a lot of things you can do um, as a medical provider that a personal trainer typically can't. So for me, it's mainly about like, you know, where we can go as far as medicine and then what the real goal is, right? So usually as physical therapists, our goal, you know, initially at least is to get you out of pain and required skilled medical care. But at some point, yes, we will be, we'll go within like, a, you know, uh, 
personal trainer, so to speak, scope of practice, because now we can be, you know, more in a strength conditioning realm or, you know, where I like to see it too, is just preventative or like even better word proactive, right? So how can we start, you know, again, living a better life and, and keeping our uh, health uh, in a place where we want it to be, you know? And, and so, um, yeah, I just think it's more about just being able to go there. It's just medical knowledge, in my opinion, just depth of knowledge is as far as, you know, medicine is concerned. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I look at some state practice acts are even kind of evolving where some PTs are now able to order imaging, which is, right. I saw effect, that, right? Like, you know, some PTs are able to order x-rays and MRIs. And previously that was not a thing. Um, and last I knew a personal trainer cannot write a script for an MRI. Um, and right. I've also found, at least in my experience thus far, which is relatively limited compared to yours, I'll admit, um, most trainers are not comfortable with progressing someone post-operatively. And what I mean by that is sure. if a patient post-op ACL is discharged 10 weeks after um, you know surgery, discharged from the PT insurance-based model, most personal trainers are not comfortable looking at that individual and progressing them from where they are at 10 weeks all the way up to where they need to be at a year mark. Um, and I don't know if that's just a lack of education on it, a lack of confidence, whatever. Um, but it's like, hey, you know, why not leave that to a physical therapist who understands that process, who understands the steps, the progressions. And if things start to look a little bit funky, then, hey, maybe they can make a referral, send a note to the doctor or, you know, in some states, again, maybe even order an MRI or an X-ray if that's needed. Uh, for the individual, because, you know, while most post-op cases go well, there's still one or two every now and then that run into issues and roadblocks. And if you have the tools in your toolbox to do something about it, it's going to make you far more effective for that individual than someone who's limited by what they can do or what they know and that sort of thing. Oh, totally agree. Right. Like, you know, the devil's in the details, like this is a nuanced thing, but I do think it's very important. It's a huge difference maker. Right. So personal trainer, you do use that same analogy before would be possibly very good at getting your quad stronger, you know, to get you uh, even like better, like motor patterns. Right. They wouldn't say that, but like, right. Get you just stronger and like more fluid. And we, however, understand more about healing time, what actually happened in the surgery. You know, there's just a lot of places that we have a medical knowledge that that possibly a personal trainer, they could good, definitely could go educate themselves, but there's something to be said about, you know, being in the surgical room, like some of us have sometimes, or seeing 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, hundreds of ACLs all the way from pre-op to post-op, right? Like there's just like, it's just reps too. So um, I do think that's where, you know, physical therapists shine obviously is, is post-operatively man. Like we, we can crush it because like that, that's where we're, I think, um, you know, needed, you know, like, um, arguably the most, right? Like there's not many people who have that skill set like we do when it comes right there. I think we're more than that, but obviously that's, that's a uh, huge. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I know I keep coming back to the example of the ACL and post-op and, you know, you just kind of alluded to it yourself. I feel like that's an area where most PTs shine, but as you mentioned, that's not the only area for us. And, you know, I've seen PTs who work with people who just have general pain. I've seen PTs who work with people on the preventative side, like you mentioned. I've also seen PTs who started to dabble in the sports science and recovery science type thing. So what happens when we bring force plates into a clinic and we can actually right. assess someone's double leg squat or their balance pattern? 
And the thing is, those types of things, we've used the term performance PT a few times. Those type of things are not confined to the high school or college athlete or a pro athlete. Those can be applied to a 50, 60, 70, 80 year old, just the same way as they're applied to a 20 year old. We can put a, uh, you know, a 70 year old on force plates and assess their single leg balance. There's no harm that's going to come from that if they don't fall over. Uh, By the same token, we can put someone who's 75 years old on the force plates while they're squatting and get some objective data and feedback on their uh, strength and power output, you know, something other than just a five time sit to stand. Can we please move beyond that now that we have the capacity to do so? Um, And now that we have all these additional metrics, let's actually use them and apply them across the lifespan instead of just restricting ourselves to one small audience. Yeah, I, I, I'm admitted, admittedly, I'm in a bubble a little bit, right? And so like, everybody is doing those things in my world, right? Like, I don't even, we don't know people who are doing five sit to stands or timed up and go test or not that those <laughs> things aren't valuable, right? But like, yes, exactly, right? Like if you walk into a PT clinic and all they have is their bands and a five pound, you know, weight, like, run the other way, right? Like, it's just, you know what I mean? Like you, you, there, there's more to our profession than being able just to do those things. And so no matter what model you're in, I believe that like, yes, the performance-based model needs to be um, injected as much as possible, right? Because uh, ultimately where we're seeing even just culture go, right? Everybody's more interested in these things. Everybody's more interested in how, how I can live a better quality of life and how I can be stronger. And uh, what do I need to do to like, you know, keep cardiovascular disease away, right? Because it's it's an epidemic, right? Like we have more kids who are unhealthier than ever, more adults, more people, um, you know, having a lot of difficulty just moving up and down. Like I've been out and about, um, you know, we went to a to Hawaii recently, super fun, right? But um, there's so many things that people couldn't do, right? Like we go on these five miles hike and like a lot of patients could never do that, right? And so like, we want to get as many people in, you know, as active as possible. And like, that's where we need to go. Like our profession needs to evolve, right? If somebody wants to go on a five, 10 mile hike uphill, 200, you know, 2000 meters or something like that, um, a fair band and a five pound weight is probably not going to cut it. You know, yeah, we're no, gonna, I, we're going uh, gonna to need to do more. <laughs> I completely agree with you. And you're kind of getting ahead of me here is I was going to ask you, like, what do you say to the patient who, you know, walks into a clinic and that's what they see? Um, you know, and I, I completely agree with you. If you want to change someone's life, you actually have to do life changing things. Sideline clamshells with a band and four way ankle never changed anyone's life. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that they don't ever have a place in someone's program, but those are not the things that are going to get someone all the way back to what they want to be. Those are things, however, that will help acutely with small little things, get someone feeling better, um, and then hopefully get them out of your clinic uh, if you're in an insurance-based model, right? Get them in, get them feeling better, get them out. But again, we're in the business of changing lives, as you mentioned. And if we want to change lives, we have to dig deeper and we have to do more. What kind of insight or advice or education would you offer to a PT who might find themselves in that uh, clinic setting, whether they're working there themselves or, you know, maybe they own a clinic or something like that? 
what do you offer to them if they kind of find themselves in one of those, uh, we'll, we'll just call it an under-equipped clinic? It's a good, really good question. I mean, where I want to start with that too, just like it's worth noting is like a big issue in our profession too, is also just purely how we're being educated, right? I got zero strength and conditioning, progressive overload training whatsoever at physical therapy school, which blows your mind when you think about it. Cause that's basically when eventually I just educated myself, that's basically all I started doing. It became the thing that I was most excited about, which is progressively overloading patients. And there's other ways to help patients, obviously, but that's just what I was interested in the most. And so what I realized is that just as you said, nobody really is doing that, right? Like you, you can only load a clamshell so much. And, you know, how is that going to help somebody truly functionally if that's all you're doing? Probably pretty limited. Like you said, it doesn't change somebody's life. So, you know, to answer your question, what could we do or what could somebody do if they're, if they're stuck there? We're really honest. What I did first and foremost was I educated myself and I got out and I got into you know, my own kind of health journey ultimately first, right? Like, how can I go out and get stronger? What does that look like for me? That was like, it was kind of the birth of CrossFit kind of when I started um, going out in the clinical world. So I kind of went down that rabbit hole and then I just got really sucked in and I started just learning as much as I could um, about strength conditioning. So ultimately it's, I think it's going out, doing it yourself would be one easy first step. It's going out and educating yourself. So like, going out and getting your, you know, strength and conditioning, CSCS kind of thing, right? Or a third thing is like going out and like actually going to go get some clinical mentorship from somebody who is already in that model. Like who can you find that's already doing that and like spend some time with them um, and go do it yourself, right? And so like, I think that's what's going to come first is like changing your own mindset and um, educating yourself more. And then, yeah, after that, it's like, you probably need some kettlebells would be a good place to start. Probably need a squat rack. You know, you need something that actually can challenge people, you know, and, and, and you don't necessarily even need those tools sometimes, right? Like for some patients, it might just be like trying to just squat their body weight 10, 15 times, right? You can also load people up, not necessarily with weight. So I also ultimately think it's just changing your mindset first and then, you know, educating yourself a little bit more about what is progressive, uh, you know, progressive strength and conditioning program kind of look like you know, and like, uh, you probably have, most PTs probably have more knowledge than they think. They're just kind of a little scared to go there sometimes, right? Because it's not necessarily common. They may be the only person doing that and they don't want to stand out and be like, what are you doing over there, right? Like they should be doing clamshells. Like, no, I kind of like trying to slowly go deeper into a squat. Like, oh man, I heard we go to this, like go, it's, it's bad for your knees. Like what? Oh my God. You know, like there's still a lot of misinformation out there, even us as PTs about, you know, what is actually, um, you know, evidence-based research about strength additioning and, and what people can and can't do because that was another huge mind shift for me it's like you know I was afraid to do a lot of things and then I realized oh man people can squat past 90 like oh man I can't go lunge with this person like oh man I could you know do a Jefferson curl you know what I mean like I could bend their back you know like oh, it's a good thing so uh there's just so much that I think needs to change from an educational standpoint first and foremost and we got a lot of people out there doing it which is cool I, I completely agree with so many of those points you just brought up, Eve. I mean, first off, I can't help but think back to a podcast we recently did with Mike Pekarski, uh, Pekarski, where, you know, we talked about a lot of those similar things. And one of the points we ended on was, you know, if there's an online trainer out there who might not even have any kind of qualification or certification, and he's comfortable charging people hundreds of dollars a month for, you know, exercise advice to eliminate X pain or Y pain or whatever that way, 
uh, and he's never met that individual, never assessed them and might not even have any formal training, uh, then, you know, we as providers need to be comfortable offering those things when we can assess, when we can see right. someone in person. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of people who aren't quite there yet on their comfort level. level. And I think you brought up a great point in the importance of practicing what you preach. I know it's a cliche term, but ultimately, if you don't progress yourself, then I find that you're probably going to have a more difficult time helping someone else progress because you can't relate to it as well. And as you progress yourself, you're going to build, you know, a level one and a level 50 of every intervention. You know, maybe you find the double leg bridge to the single leg bridge to the weighted with a dumbbell to a barbell and so on you kind of build those steps. And as you get practicing clinically, you add new little steps in there because everyone presents a little differently. And sometimes people can jump 10 levels and sometimes people only jump one or two. But ultimately, if you never take that leap yourself, uh, you're not going to get into that. And as you mentioned too, there's a lot of value in spending time with other people who are currently doing it. And I'll even say, hey, look, why not go out there and get in touch with your local strength and conditioning group or trainers or whatever that way, spend a day or two with them. You know, you don't, you don't have anything to lose. And if anything, that's going to further your relation with them, because I think there's space for all of us to succeed at the end of the day. You know, we don't have to be the sole provider giving everything. I think that we can actually work in union with strength coaches and personal trainers so that we all improve our situation instead of, you know, fighting with one another for the same client or whatever that way. Oh, that's a, that's another big can of worms right there. Right? Like there's, <laughs> there's so much of that scarcity mindset of like, oh man, like this is our scope of practice. This is, you know, this is mine. These are my people. You're not, you know, you can't do the things that I do. That's not what it's about, right? Like what it's about is where this person is at now and where do they want to be and who's the best fit in order to help them get there. You know, that was another big shift for me from insurance to, uh, you know, the performance-based model is I became friends and I became, uh, uh, I made alliances with so many different strength conditioning coaches, coaches in general, personal trainers, you know, all these people. And then what I realized is that we had so much more in common than I ever thought. And, you know, like, in our model, you know, what we teach, our main marketing tool is actually going out and marketing to gyms. Like I built my practice off of, you know, the CrossFit community, personal trainers, not from doctors. Like there's still doctors who sent to us and I've got some doctors that are friends, but ultimately it was word of mouth and it was building, you know, uh, really good relationships out in the community, doing workshops at gyms and realizing like, hey, you're really good at getting people fit and helping people lose weight. I'm really good at keeping them healthy and keeping them in your gym. And like, look how well we can work together. And oh my man, that's when I figured that out. That's literally when my practice absolutely um, exploded. And it, it was, it was, you know, it was awesome. And I mean, the other thing to talk about, I loved is like, yeah, practice what you preach, totally cliche. But, you know, when I was learning about that stuff and I didn't have as much formal, formal training, and I really don't have a ton of formal training on strength conditioning. It was like, I'm, I'm just kind of a movement nerd. Like I'm just like a geek. I love, like, I'll go to spin class. I'll go to yoga. I'll go to CrossFit. I'll do Olympic weightlifting. I'll run, you know, I'll row. And I just, you know, I became my own uh, test subject, so to speak. And what I did is like, I just learned how to progress and regress exercises in my own training. And then I just applied that to my patients and they absolutely loved that, you know? And I think there's just so much that you can learn 
um, that way. Again, not the only way. I mean, if you want to go out and, you know, some people are more book nerds and that's totally fine. You can learn that way. But man, there's just something about going on there and doing it, right? Like you said, being able to relate to the patient, like, oh man, I got to run this marathon. But like, well, I ran a marathon too. Like I understand how terrible it is to go have to go run an 18 mile run on a Saturday morning, you know, um, after you've had a, a rough week at work, right? So I can really relate um, to what's going on with them. And that was a huge advantage too, uh, with seeing patients, especially, you know, uh, which is typically the ideal patient um, in kind of a cash practice is somebody who's already very active and has very, very clear, you know, physical um, activity goals. Yeah, for sure. Now, there's probably some individuals out there who are listening to this and they're thinking, oh my goodness, this is great. You know, I already run and I'm going to add the lifting. I'm going to add the yoga class. They just do everything. Um, I'm slightly guilty of that myself at some times. Um, yeah. But some people might say, you know what? I've got a little bit of a limit. I'm not Superman. I can't do anything and everything. Um, so, you know, how would you kind of educate those providers who say, look, you know, I'm cool with the whole lifting thing, but I'm not going to go run a marathon or maybe it's the opposite. And they're like, Hey, look, I love running. I can do the marathons, the Ironmans, triathlons all day long, but you know, that whole CrossFit thing, not for me. Yeah. I think, well, you said it earlier, it's like going out and building those alliances with people, like spending time with other coaches and talking to them and learning from them um, is, is the best thing you could do. I mean, we get this a lot too, right? Because, you know, a lot of people, it helps a lot in business to find a niche. My niche was CrossFit. Other people's niches could be runners. Other people's niches could be basketball players, right? And so, you know, and sometimes they get afraid to maybe go out in those niches too. But if you have basic strength conditioning concepts or you have just like baseline kind of activity level, an athlete can also just relate ultimately to an athlete as well. So I think there's a big power in that as well. Like you'll just understand what it's like to have physical goals in order to, in order to move that way. So, you know, I think going out and being in the community and learning as much as possible from other people is going to be huge. And honestly, there's so much information out there now too. Like, you know, when I went down that rabbit hole, I mean, I consumed a lot of content. Like Kelly Sturett was really big back in the day. And I just, you know, he did CrossFit too, but he also had a book called Ready to Run. I consumed the crap out of that. So there's just like content, like just, you know, go out and educate yourself, you know, like right out of school. I remember I was never a big reader because I was just in school all the time, but two or three years, took about two or three years. But after that, I just started consuming massive amounts of content. So if you made it through PT school, you're probably pretty good at studying. You're probably a relatively smart person. So it's just about going out and educating yourself. And there's like a lot of that's free or just like reading books, you know, like, um, man, there's so much good stuff out there. Yeah, there definitely is. And I'll give a little plug for myself here real quick. I certainly don't know everything. I didn't play every sport growing up. Like, you know, we didn't even have lacrosse in my county. Um, but, you know, if you scroll back on the podcast, You'll find episodes with individuals who work with lacrosse athletes all the time. You'll find a recent episode we just published with five different professionals who work uh, with pro basketball athletes. So PTs from different pro teams, strength coaches from different pro teams, all five awesome. of them on one episode at the same time. Um, so there's, as you mentioned, so many free resources out there. Um, and I just can't help but give myself a little plug because I like to think, I like to think we're doing an okay thing here. Um, but, you know, ultimately, at least from what I've found and kind of bringing this full circle, you can't do those things if you don't have the time to do it. You can't host the podcast. You can't listen to the podcast. You can't read the book or, you know, jump on like a consult call for 10 minutes with someone like yourself, Eve. You can't do that if you don't have the time. 
And I sit back and I recognize, you know, at least for myself, a lot of the things that I do daily, I can't do if I'm seeing 40 to 50 patients a day. Um, you know, I have a hard enough time keeping up and keeping pace with notes as it is. Um, if I saw 5x the amount of patients I see right now, I'd be buried. You know, notes would be all I do. Um, and ultimately, if we want to help people dig deeper, then we need to learn how to sharpen our own shovels first. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's a time for hustle and there's a time where you just got to like, you know, figure it out. You know, maybe got to listen to that podcast on that drive. <laughs> but I, I could agree more, right? Like in a performance-based model, in our model, we're seeing five to six patients a day. And believe it or not, we're probably just as fatigued as somebody who's seeing 20, you know, plus patients a day. Because, you know, not only is it a time issue, I think, it's also just purely a mental an emotional bandwidth thing. Like having that many conversations with that many people is super challenging. By the end of the day, you are toast, right? You don't want to go out and read because like you've given everything. And, and same thing, even just like with five or six patients a day, like I am absolutely toast. I'm emotionally drained from that. And I cannot, um, you know, I, I, I don't have time for much else, right? You just, you give it all. So yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's, um, man, that's a, it's a tough one. It's something that challenges a lot of people in our profession is they want to typically do something different, but they, they can't, right. Because like they're, they're really, really time poor. A lot of the newer businesses we work with, they're usually doing a side hustle and they're trying to do both at the same time, which is, yeah, with notes and the amount of patients people see, it's like, it's really tough um, to, to do both for sure. Yeah, definitely. Eve, I feel like we've hit on so many amazing points here in our discussion today. Is there any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks you've got or anything else you want to bring up that we didn't discuss yet? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, you know, all I want to do, and I feel like it's always an us versus them. I think a lot of times um, people will take that mentality. You know, I'm not one of those people who's like, man, performance-based cash physical therapy is going to be the only thing we do in the next 20 years. Like, uh, that's not my goal. My goal is there are certain people who love conversations like the one we're having. There are certain people who really want to do something different. There are certain people also that might just thrive. They like, they like seeing 10 to 15 people a day in post-ops. And like, that's really awesome for you. All I want to provide is an avenue for those people who want this model. And that's just like, still doesn't truly exist yet. We're such a small small, small, small piece of the profession. Like even having enough people where if you want to go do a rotation, you know, or you want a performance-based job, that that becomes a thing, you know, where it's like, it's easy to find. It's like, I want a clinical that does this, you know, cool. That should be where it's just like, I just want, you know, a small piece of the pie for the right person who wants that model to be able to just become a normal part of our profession, not this kind of fringe, this like thing that we like, look down upon or like, you know, uh, I just want it to be talked about. And I think we're there. We're, we're getting there anyway, you know, where it's becoming more of a normal thing. And that's, that's exciting. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And ultimately the sky is limit here. The, the sky is the limit here. You know, we yeah. talk about performance-based and, you know, we primarily hit sporting and ortho considerations here today, but, you know, that could be applied to a neurologic population as well. You know, yep. just because someone has a neurological diagnosis does not mean that they're going to be, you know, unable to perform any activity for the rest of their life. You know, ultimately, the more we find a way and not an excuse, the more our profession is going to move forward. And most importantly, the more other people are going to benefit from what we do day in and day out. And Eve, I know that you guys do so much over there with PT Biz. 
and you are constantly helping so many other individuals. Do you have any kind of resources or are you on social media or where can people find out more about you guys? Sure. I mean, the, the easiest places to go are our website, physicaltherapybiz.com. You know, if you're interested, you can go get a ton of free information there. We have free courses. You know, we have a podcast as well. Um, we just have a ton. Um, my social media is just at ptbiz, so super easy to find. Come follow me. If you if you follow me, you're going to get a message from me. So just fair warning, I'm going to start talking to you. So you got to be ready for that. <laughs> uh, you know, so um, yeah, I mean, those two easiest places to look. We also have a Facebook group called PT Entrepreneurs. Again, we do almost weekly live streams. You know, we, we give as much free information out there as possible because we want as many practices like these as possible uh, to start up, you know, again, for the right people. So um, I appreciate letting me plug. So if you're interested in this performance-based model, cash model, and you want to learn more, you know, go to the, one of those places and uh, hopefully we can help. Yeah. And um, if you don't mind, I'd like to link to, I know you guys have a uh, book out there called F insurance or something like that. Um, I wouldn't mind kind of dropping a link to that too in the description below, if you're okay with that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Danny has done a great job. We actually just updated that book. So, um, you know, uh, we've got a couple extra chapters uh, changed the title as well, because uh, Amazon doesn't look too kindly or Facebook on <laughs> F insurance. So um, yeah, we, we got some stuff, but I'll, I'll definitely link to the updated book. I mean, it's a monster book, literally, you know, it's the entire playbook of how to go from zero K to 40 plus K a month in a cash price. Tells you exactly what to do. So um, definitely, you know, we've got, uh, we've got that resource that we can give out for sure. Yeah, definitely. Happy to link to all of that below in the description there. Eve, thank you so much for your time and everything today. This has been great. Yeah, appreciate it. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.